I'm gonna pull up the remote for the slides behind me real quick. Cause Ashley's gone. Sweet. All right, so we're going to be continuing in Genesis, starting chapter two today. And we're going to be doing uh, half of chapter two today and the other half next week. Uh, I was going to do all of it in one, but uh, especially the one next week, there's a lot of stuff that probably needs to be talked about, and I didn't want to rush that too bad. So we're going to look at chapter two, verses one through uh, 17, uh, sorry, verses four through 17, and, and what that means for us. And in chapter two, what you get is um, what essentially is a zoomed in version of the sixth day. This is not, it's not, it's not something new as if this is a different creation story. It's essentially chapter one is the overview of all of creation. And then chapter two, starting verse four, you zoom in on that sixth day and what God is specifically doing in one very specific geographic region of the world, um, the region where of Garden of Eden and that kind of stuff. And so um, we have then this more detailed account of how humans were created. And it teaches us a lot about God, his relationship with humans, and it teaches us a lot about our relationships with each other, which is what the second, what we'll get to next week is really our relationship with each other. Um, and so what I want to do is I've got questions for us to talk about here at the end, but I want to start in verse four, and I'm just going to go through verse by verse and kind of point out things that maybe you haven't caught before or you wouldn't know. And then after we talk, I go through all these verses and give us a chance to talk about it for a few minutes. So it says in verse four, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they are created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So the book of Genesis is actually divided up into um, several sections, and it's divided by the what would consider to be the generations or the family groups. So, of course, you have the Abraham one, you have the Isaac and Jacob. But the first one is actually it, it's phrased like the family of creation. So it almost views creation as this whole first section. That's what he's doing. in Verse four, he's saying this is the beginning of the first section of Genesis the family of creation that runs all the way through verse chapter four. And it says in verse five, now no shrub the earth field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there's no man to cultivate it, but a mist verse six used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So verse five, it takes us to this specific area in verse five. It's not talking about creation in general. This is what I mean when I said this is a zoomed in account. It's, we already know from Genesis chapter one that there are plants. What it does is it's zooming into a specific area of the earth. And in this area, they says that there's not really any plants there yet significantly because of two reasons. One, God hadn't created man to cultivate it, to, to work it. So apparently that's one of our jobs. And then secondly, because there's no rain, instead there was just a mist, which is always... Um, produce a question with a lot of people you know is it was there even rain before the flood and my personal opinion is that it actually did not rain until the flood 
that God watered the plants through underground tributaries and through mists, but the flood was the first time it actually rained. And that was part of the reason I think people had a hard time believing it was going to happen because they had just not seen it before. When, when Noah said, hey, there's going to be water coming from the sky, they were like, yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be like saying pigs fly now. They, I think that's why what, this, what is happening here in verses 5 and 6. It says in verse 7, And then the Lord God formed man of dust in the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So in verse 7, make sure it doesn't say anything else. No, it's in verse 7. It's the first time. You actually get the first time in the Bible that the word Yahweh, or capital L-O-R-D, as it is in English, is used. That's the first time in the whole Bible that God's own personal name is chosen. And that's for reason, because now that Yahweh is always used to emphasize uh, the personal nature of God, his relationship with humans. And so by changing it to Yahweh, He's drawing in God, not as being this huge being that creates the universe, but as this personal being that wants a relationship with humans. Even so personal that unlike the animals and stuff where he just creates them with humans, he gets close enough to the first man to breathe into his own nostrils. And so you really get this picture of a God and, and how relational he wants to be with humanity compared to the rest of creation. Um, and, he, and, he, and it says in, um, it says the word man in verse seven, some translations use the word Adam here. The Hebrew word for Adam is Adam. That's the Hebrew transliterated. Um, but it actually meant man or earth as in like dirt, which is, so you see <laughs> That's why the Bible and your Bible might have like Adam where my Bible says man, because the name Adam is actually the same word for man, which is the same word for dirt in the, in the Bible. In fact, in other places in the Bible, it uses Adam for dirt lots of times. And so you have this very interesting play on word um, where Adam being the first man is actually called man. And so this is a, it's a good thing to point out when we talk about this verse number seven, because um, I think this is one verse where you really have to diverge from the general theory of evolution. By that, I mean the theory that every being started from a primordial soup and evolved from one species to the other up to man. Because not just in Genesis, but in other books of the Bible, including Paul and Jesus in the New Testament, both speak about Adam as being a real, literal person. And in fact, Paul goes so far as to actually argue that Jesus saves us because he functions as a second Adam. And his argument only works if there was a real first Adam. And so, like we were doing, we talked about Genesis chapter one, we can maybe diverge on some things when it comes to evolution and the way the earth was created. We cannot diverge on this one thing that there was a literal Adam who was a man. Um, that we cannot disagree on and hold to. And if you do, you're going to struggle with some of the other verses in the Bible that come later when it actually refers to Adam as being a man. Verse eight. 
And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he formed. And now the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there divided between four became four rivers. They have the first is Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. The gold of that land is good. The bedellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows around east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So this first section of chapter two is all about one thing, and that is that God provides for mankind. That's the point of Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, that God is there. It doesn't just create mankind, but after he creates mankind, when humankind, I should say, he provides for humans greatly. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 actually shows us why Genesis chapter 3 is so terrible, because it shows us what we lost. God provided, he placed Adam in, in a garden that he creates, and he said he put every type of tree in there that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So in other words, there was nothing that the man needed in the garden in terms of sustenance in life. Everything was perfectly what he needed in the garden. Interestingly, those are the same words used of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in chapter three, with the exception of it adds the word in for wisdom at the end in chapter three. And then also, of course, he says there's the tree of life in there and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What those are, uh, may we, I mean, they're literal trees, probably, most likely, but what they are, what their function was, how they had power, we don't know. I'm going to show you guys in a second, this tree of life thing comes up again in the book of Revelation. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to ask you a question about it too, so I'm going to move on. And then it has this weird thing about the different rivers. And you're like, why is it telling us all these rivers? Well, it tells us two things. One, that this is a literal place. I mean, if it wasn't a literal place, the guy who wrote this couldn't have gone, oh, by the way, it's where all these rivers are. Mm -hmm. So this was a literal garden somewhere in probably in Africa, north, you know, where the Tigris and Euphrates are now. Uh, those two rivers are still around. The other two are not. And... What's interesting, too, is they've done use satellite and they've used radar to map that area. And there's actually extinct riverbeds in that area. So it's possible that one of those extinct riverbeds is or was these two back in that day. And they just died over time. Um, the other point of naming these four rivers is to show just how abundant that land was because it's, it's basically saying these major rivers that supported life in the entire region after all came from this one area. The source of life came from Eden. The source of life came from paradise, basically. And not just the source of life, but even precious stones and stuff all started in Eden. And so you just got this picture of paradise where there's complete provision for man, complete abundance for man. There's so much abundance and provision that it actually goes out and spreads to other areas out of Eden. And um, like I said, it, you just get this thing of God being so good to humankind. And then it says in verse 15, 
Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day they eat of it, you will surely die. So God takes Adam, or the man, and he puts him in the garden, and he gives him two jobs to do. He's to cultivate the garden, and he's to keep the garden. Which goes back to Genesis chapter 1, where we saw that mankind has work to do. That part of being in the image of God is we are given the task of taking care of creation. And again, you see this, that the Garden of Eden needed humanity to take care of it. It was a garden of paradise, but it still needed us to keep it, which means to guard it, to watch over it, and to cultivate it, to make sure it grows. Um, Again, that means that work is not sinful or bad. It's sin that makes it hard. But we've actually been, been created to work. We've been created to do things and not be lazy. These are all things that come up in Genesis chapter 1-2 that we come up again. And then, of course, in verse 17, he has this prohibition where he tells Adam very specifically, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day you eat it, you will surely die. And that sets up, of course, what's going to come about in chapter 3 when um, they're tempted. So I was going to, first, I want to take you guys to Revelation 21, verse 22. Somebody will turn their Bibles to that. Revelation 21, verse 22. I've said this before, but part of Genesis, especially this early part of Genesis before chapter 3, is showing what life should have been like without sin and what life is like without sin and the foundation of what it means to be human The cool thing is that when Jesus comes back and he removes sin from this world, you basically have a reintroduction of what happens in Genesis 1 and 2 in the book of Revelation also. So somebody willing to read Revelation 21 verse 22 through 22 verse 5. What? Chapter one second, one second, Deb. Um, chapter 22, 21, <laughs> verse 22. Chapter 21, verse 22. And then we're going to go through verse five of the next chapter. All right, <laughs> go ahead, Deb. The city does not name the sun, but the name shine on it, because its glory of God eliminates it, and its lamp is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the king of the earth will bring glory unto it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the land's book of life. Then he showed him the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of, the, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face and his name will be on all their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. All right. Very good. So when Jesus returns, he reestablishes the new Jerusalem. And it says three things about this new Jerusalem we see in Genesis chapter two. One that talks about the river again, this river of life being this abundant river flowing and giving life to everywhere. You see the tree of life coming back again to and to do whatever it does to give us life. Um, of course, this time we don't have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like they did in Genesis chapter two. And then the third thing is you get a reintroduction of God's close personal relationship with humans again. In Genesis chapter two, and, and then as I will see next week, God talks with humans. He, he communes with humans. He walks with humans. He gets close enough to breathe into their nostrils. And that never happens again until Revelation, when you have God actually being this close again to us, to us. And as another passage talks about, he'll be close enough to even wipe the tears from our eyes. And that's what we hope for when we go that as much as we lose Genesis 2, when sin comes into the world, our hope is in the fact that Jesus is going to come back and make this world that way again, is what Revelation is showing us. So um, with those things, let me ask you guys one question that I know is uh, discussed before, and that is, why do you think God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as an option in the garden in the first place? Why even give, why even put that in there and give them the chance? It's a free will thing. Can you expand on that? Well, he, he gave us, we, he could have made us like robots so that we just did whatever he wanted us to do and, and never did anything wrong. But he gave us free will so that we could make choices. So he put a temptation in the garden and then it was up to them whether or not they followed instructions or his, his, his laws or whether they followed their own path yeah I think that certainly is part of it you could have been a slave that's you know like Brenda said a robot or a slave yeah that's what uh, I mean a notation the pastor must have preached at one time <laughs> I, I, maybe the faith, you know, that God put him there in the garden for faith to trust in him. Yeah. Well, God knew that we were going to violate. Yeah, he um, did. To start with, he knew all that. Mm -hmm. So um, he knew what was going to happen and it was part of the plan. Yeah. Good point. It's not like God was caught surprised when Adam and Eve did ate no. from it. When he created, when he, on day one, when he created the universe, he knew that meant Jesus was going to the cross. Right. When he said, let there be light, he also knew that meant Jesus was going to die for us. That, that was the plan from the whole beginning. 
I think, uh, like y'all said, it partially has to do with learning what it means to truly choose God and love God. And the reason why the tree, I think, is not in the book of Revelation is because we've already, those of us who have believed in Jesus, we've already made that choice and chosen God. So there won't be a need for that tree in the, in the Reve book of Revelation like there was for Adam and Eve. Also, it teaches them, and this is something new that you might not have thought of, where life actually comes. Life comes by following God. As long as Adam and Eve obeyed God and followed God and had faith and trust in God, as somebody was saying, they continued to live. And when they chose to not follow God, that's when they died. And that's the choice that everybody makes every human has to make is basically the same way. Do I choose to follow what God says and follow and trust my God, or do I choose to reject God? And that's, I mean, it's no different than the choice each of us make and have to make as believe before we were believers as lost people. Um, will we still, will we still have a choice? When I don't Jesus think, return? Yeah. I don't think we'll have the desire to sin um, like we do now. Sin, because we have a sin nature, we actually have a desire to sin. That desire yeah. to sin is taken away. It's very similar to Jesus. The quite, One of the funny debates about Jesus is basically, could Jesus ever have sinned? We know he didn't sin, but he could he ever have sinned? Uh, in terms of like, could he have could he have chosen the sin if he wanted to? And it's similar to that, we just Jesus never had a desire to sin because he didn't have a sin nature like we do. And that's how we'll, we'll be too. We won't choose to sin because God will change our heart to the point where that has no draw to us anymore at all. Um, so it, it's really more philosophical argument whether we probably could or not. But anyways, Uh, last question, I guess, until and we'll close on this. I'm trying to decide which one I want to do. Uh, what does this passage, we've talked about this a little bit already, but what does this passage really teach us about who God is? Which is the point of all of scripture is to teach us something about God and maybe even about what we need. You know, you can answer either one of those. What, what does it teach about who God is? What does it teach about what we need? And there's a lot of answers to this. There's more than one. God is the creator of all things. Yeah. All right. It reminds us of that. Does he give us choices to make in life? Yeah. yeah. He does. He gives us choices to see if we'll do do what he wants or not. Well, he wants us to do what's what's right. What he wants us, he wants us to do to follow his um, yeah. commandments, and mm -hmm. but he allows us not to. Yeah. Which. 
He's calling out the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> I think that follows maybe the Ten Commandments too. Especially love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm -hmm. One of the best ones. So outside of the, the tree, is there anything else we learned about God not related to the tree? Or about our need for God? Like kind of like Teresa said, you know, he's the creator. Is there anything else like that? Well, he sustains us. He sustains the whole world. Everything, yeah. us. So, Jim, yeah. So he's the sustainer of the world, provider. He wants to do that. And what Justin said was that God wants a relationship with us from the beginning. Right. That was his plan. He wanted a relationship with us. Uh, not just to come to Sunday, sing a few songs about him and leave, but an actual relationship <laughs> with us. And yeah. I think too, he'll never leave us or forsake us. We may leave God, but God will never leave us. Yeah. We certainly see his love in this passage. I think that's good. Um, so next week we'll finish up chapter two with the creation of the woman. And there's a lot of stuff in that passage um, that is uh, fun to talk about. And the explaining the passage is going to go a little quicker, but the questions are going to be a little bit longer next week because um, that's a pretty loaded passage at the end of there. It talks about later in scripture a lot. So I'm looking forward to next week. And then, of course, then we get the fun passage of the fall. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks ahead. Um, but I hope this helps you guys kind of see maybe the beginning part of chapter two you skipped over, help you kind of appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, is there anything else that somebody wants to comment about before I close or some, you know, prayer request or anything that you might not have said? All right, let me close and we'll, we'll uh, move on the rest of the week. Dear God, uh, thank you for bringing us here and reminding us of this passage of who you are. Uh, it's so awesome to see that even in the second page of the Bible, we already get to see your heart. And it's so awesome. And, and not just the heart for what you have, but the knowledge, like Jim said, that you were planning even then to die on the cross for our sins to draw us back to you. And we are so thankful for that. And God, I pray that as we uh, live out our day, that we would um, be the people that you called us to be, be the people that you planned for us to be way back then, Lord, and help us to just have encouragement and hope knowing that um, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we'll be able to see that world again when Jesus returns. It's such a great hope and help us to continue to hope in that. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done. And we pray your blessings and your help upon this week and all those who are struggling. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, Michael. Yes. That those um, earphones um, also had a box that went with them that synced to the earphones, but they uh -huh. were the old system. So okay. when they updated our um, sound system, mm -hmm. it went away. And he didn't know where they are either. Huh. 
So it, it it's probably with all the old sound system stuff. Wherever you, that is. Y'all know where that is, do you? Okay. Yep. The only place I haven't looked is I've, I was told last week that there's a secret storage building door behind the church that I didn't know was there. So I'm going to peek in and see what's in that door. The grill's <laughs> back there, and there's some chairs back there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, look, in, look, look in the closet in, in the choir room. The closet in the choir room, yeah. It might be in there. There's a lot of stuff in that closet. Yeah. So. All right, bye. We'll see you all Sunday. Bye. about business meeting. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So I'm standing in the kitchen chopping, and she's pulling up the back of my leg. I'm like, well, I guess I'll go anywhere. Next corner? Yeah. So I just wanted to come on. Okay. Look, come here. Come here. Yeah. We're going to have yeah, I'll do that. And she mentioned because we had talked about not doing the transaction reports, but she said that the church actually voted to do that, which I didn't realize the church voted, which means we'd have to vote to undo it. Um, so what I told her is, uh, I mean, we could still print them, but maybe I asked if she would put them on the pew instead of in the back, and I'll just tell people where they are. But um, and just let people who want it to come look at it. Because the transaction reports, I, I just don't want to print it anymore for everybody. I think the only reason that was printed was there was some guys to look at. I'm a daddy's girl There was some category of people that didn't understand what they were doing that. Yeah. So they just wanted to see that. There's like one category, you know. And so somebody made a motion that, hey, I want to see this. Yeah. Well, and, and next, if we want in the next meeting to to vote to hit it, I'm all up for that. Uh, this is the only church I've ever seen that prints the whole transaction report every quarter. Uh, every church has it where you can look at it, but they don't just freely give it out to everybody. They we got a request it, uh, and that makes sense if you think of like a larger church. It might be several pages. You don't you don't want to print twenty pages for every member, you know. Well. So we'll get back around a couple of times. Somebody asked a question. Yeah. I was going to um, say, Goodbye, all. see, uh, uh, I was going to, we need to plan a deacon's meeting probably before the end of January just to kind of, we had, just haven't had one in a while. I got a few things I'd like to talk about, especially with it being the beginning of the year. So I'm going to send out a text message on Friday and see if we can plan for a day. See you later. We're going to be praying for y'all on Friday. See y'all Sunday. Is that your last time they stay up late? So I've got two more weekends and I'm off. Yeah. yeah, I don't blame you. The burgundy has been fun. I'm going to and stay up till the rifle time of like 9.30. Yeah, that's a lot of Well, he's got Um When does the season start? It's already started. Okay. Yeah. We've got, they were at, they, they won their region duels, which is the first time they've won their region duels. What is that? Um, so it's like the team 